In this nerd episode of Impact Technologies Podcast, we go full nerd and talk about GPUs and CPUs. Podcast episode six, nerd episode one. This podcast addresses the latest news in gaming, technology, computers, and science. If you want to email me, please do at impacttechnology at hotmail.com. If you want to find me on the web, just search Impact Technologies Podcast on Google and you'll find my website. My podcast is also on iTunes, and thank you for listening to it now on iTunes. If you want to listen and comment on iTunes, you can find it in the gadgets section in podcasts. In nerd episodes, I go full nerd and explain in, in depth various topics ranging from computer components to web security. Nerd episodes are separate from standard episodes, but are still included in the normal feed. Nerd episodes are recorded last week of every month. In this week's nerd episode, reviews of the GDX 690 and the GDX Titan GPUs, and an in-depth review of a potent Core i7 Extreme Edition processor. Now time for the first article. NVIDIA GeForce GDX 690. Two heads are better than one. Despite being built with notebooks in mind, NVIDIA's new Epler architecture has done wonders for desktop graphics cards. With its meager energy needs and a high performance, gamers have been blessed with a powerful product that doesn't sound like a black hawk lifting off. The first card based on this new architecture was the GDX 680, and it was the fastest single GPU video card on the planet then. NVIDIA has just released the bruiser of the Kepler Bunch, the dual GPU GeForce GDX 690, packing twice the goodness of the GDX 680 into a single PCB. Unlike earlier dual GPU solutions from NVIDIA, both GPUs on the GDX 690 are identical to the GPU found on the GDX 680. While the boost frequency has been dropped by around 3%, all the CUDA cores are present and accounted for. This gives the GDX 690 almost identical performance to two GDX 680 cards running in SLI mode. As you can expect, it's record-breaking. NVIDIA's past dual GPU video cards have had the undesirable distinction of being incredibly noisy, with the single cooler having to remove the heat of two GPUs running at 95 degrees Celsius. But Kepler is a very different GPU to those of the past running much cooler than ever expected. As a result, the GDX 690 is whisper-cried when ev- even when under load. This feat is even more impressive, considering the cooler uses just a single fan to tame both GPUs. And, is the, uh, and it is only possible thanks to the card's 300-watt TDP. Two 8-pin power connectors feed the card, but you won't need a stupidly powerful PSU to run it. We had no noise issues using an affordable 750-watt Cooler Master PSU. The card is 11 inches in length, which is quite reasonable, and it only eats up two slots. 
An SLI connector is included for impossibly wealthy gamers wanting to want a quad GPU gaming PC. A whopping 4GB of onboard memory is included in the form of GDDR5, more than enough even for those gaming at 2560 by 1600 resolution. Our reference card shipped, it, shipped with three DVI out ports and one mini display port, with not a HDMI port inside. This seems a strange oversight, but DVI to HDMI adapters are only around $10 each. As expected, performance was absolutely staggering, wiping the floor with every graphics card that, that, that has ever graced APC Labs until the Titan came along. This is truly the fastest video card that ever made. Until the Titan came along, it actually was. The performance led over the GDX 680 ranged from 28% faster in Dirt 3 and up to, and up to 57% faster in 3D Mark 11. Due to time constraints, it was only able to be tested at 1920 by 1080 pixel re resolution. But Nvidia's benchmarks sh show the performance lead will increase even, even further at 2560 by 1600 to run but double the single speed of, of, of a GDX 680. There is one problem with this Uber card. There was a much, much faster card with performance rates out of this world. It happens to be called the Titan. Despite Nvidia's claims that Kepler yields are high, GDX 680s are rarer than hen's teeth. The GDX 690 is even harder to find, rarer than a unicorn's head. We've heard rumours that some suppliers were only getting around a thousand units worldwide for the launch. This probably explains the second problem, price. Despite a recent retail price of just under $1,000, current suit pricing in Australia for the GDX 690 is hovering around the 1500 mark, making it much more expensive than a pair of GDX 680s. With two GDX 670s available for around 60% of the price and offering 85% of the performance, the GDX 690 is only for those with money and monitor resolution to burn. Now it's time for the second article, the review of the awesome GDX Titan. Developments in graphics card technology may be slowing, but the NVIDIA GeForce GTX Titan offers a glimpse of the future. NVIDIA has taken a high-end workstation chip, the GK110 Tesla, and repackaged it for gamers. The GeForce GTX Titan has a complex chip, more than twice as many as, the, as NVIDIA's fastest single-chip consumer card, the GTX 680. While the GDX 680 and 690 reach 3090 and 5621 single precision GFOPs respectively, the Titan sits in between with 4500 GFOPs or 4.5 teraflops. Even double precision floating point operations see a sizzling 1.3 TFLOPs. The problem is that raw compute speed doesn't automatically convert into startling application performance. The gaming landscape is going to change, but for now, the amazing capabilities of the Titan remain of limited use to Windows gamers. Besides gamers with deep pockets, the Titan is as likely to appeal to programmers and professionals who've hankered after this kind of number crunching that expensive workstation chips undertake. A sub-1000 price mark makes the Titan look affordable. Many of the Titan specifications are much better than you'll find on the GDX 680 or dual-chip GDX 690. Indeed, some of the Titan's specifications are quite amazing. 
its standard 1600 megahertz clock speed for example is considerably higher than the 837 megahertz for the typical gdx680 the memory clock of 1502 megahertz or 6008 megahertz ddr3 effective is another league compared to the 680 the Titan beats the GDX680 with its 224 texture units and 48 RAS operations. The 680 has just 128 and 32 of these respectively. A similar story is seen in the number of stream processors, where the Titan's figure of 2688 eclipses the 1536 of the 680, and the Titan, with its two sets of 1536 stream processors, is triumphant once more. And this superiority of specifications for the Titan also plays out in gaming figures. The Titan gets closest to the GDX 690 in Crisis 2, finishing just 0.1 FPS in front on a 1900 by 1200 display. 75.8 FPS to the 690 is 75.7 FPS. The 680 finishes a long way down with 45.6 FPS. Titan exceeds on larger 2560 by 1600 displays finishing on 48.3 FPS compared to the 690's 51.1 FPS. In Stalker, Call of Priparat, the Titan is further off the chart, 137.7 and 101 FPS at the top two resolutions, as opposed to the 690's 123.3 and 69.6 FPS. The 680 is again a long way back on 86.4 and 62.1 FPS. The situation is similar on Battleforge, where the 690's 99.9 and 68.1 FPS are some way off the Titan's figures of 113.2 and 82.3 FPS. Once more, the 68 languishes on 68 and 47.7 FPS. The Titan does fare well on power consumption. Whilst the 680 and 690 have TDPs of 195 watts and 300 watts respectively, the Titan draws a modest 250 watts. Given that the Titan has so much power to be undercutting, the 690 by 500 watts is a solid achievement. In real-world testing, it is about 214 and 218 watts, as opposed to the 690's 261 watt. The GTX 680 consumed the least power, although it was only needing about 30 watts less than the considerable more powerful Titan, which fared very well in noise pollution too proving quieter than even the 680 or 690. It's very pleasing to see oppressive sound levels on graphics cards starting to disappear. The card needs to be connected to a 6-pin and 8-pin connectors, so make sure your PSU is suitably equipped. Now it's time for the last article. Review of the Intel Core i7 Extreme Edition. Intel Core i7-3960X has been the fastest processor for high-performance desktop systems for an entire year. But time has come for it to step down. Today, Intel offers Core i7-3970X Extreme Edition. Although the newcomer is hardly any different from its predecessor, it was decided to subject it to detailed features and performance testing in the lab. Since the new Core i7-3970 processor is built on the exact same semiconductor as the previous flagship LGA 2011 6-core CPU, it's fairly easy to, de to describe the new processor in just a few short paragraphs. In fact, we're dealing with a legally overclocked Core i7-3960X, which normal clock frequency has been in increased from 3.3 GHz to 3.5 GHz, 
and the frequency in turbo mode from a 3.9 GHz to 4 GHz. Besides the frequencies, the heat dissipation characteristics have also changed. The thermal envelope of the new Core i7-3970X is set at 150 watts, while the predecessor had a TDP of only 130 watts. These are the only differences between the old and the new flagship LGA 2011 processors. Just, just as before, the CPU is based on a 32 nanometer Sandy Bridge E processor with six computing cores, a gigantic 15 megabyte L3 cache, and a quad channel memory controller. Besides, it also supports hyperthreading, which enables Core i7-3970X to process up to 12 threads simultaneously. Although there are very few differences in the specifications of Core i7-3960X and Core i7-3970X, Intel could have made a few lower level changes, but they chose not to. Just like its predecessor, the new Core i7-3970X uses C2 processor stepping with 8 computing cores, two of which have been disabled unfortunately. You can clearly see that from the Diagnostic Utilities reports. I would like to remind you that the distinguishing feature of the C2 processor stepping is the operational CTD technology which was originally disabled in the first LGA 2011 processors because of some implementation errors. This is exactly why they refreshed the core design a little later. So far there are no other core steppings from Sandy Bridge E processors so we can't really expect any surprises from the Core i7-3970X. Even the increase in the typical heat dissipation is not a surprise at all. Intel has already played this card in the symmetrical Xeon E5 family, so they chose the time-tested route for the enhancement of their desktop processor lineup. In the server CPU family, Intel increased only the TDP of the top 8 core Xeon E5 2687-watt processor. However, they believe that the desktop Core i7 do not deserve to have 8 cores. So in our case, it was solely because of the increase in clock frequency. The increase in the maximum TDP limits hardly changes anything for the flagship desktop LGA 2011 systems. The main board's voltage regulators, circuitries, and LGA 2011 cooling systems have been designed for overclocking purposes right from the start. Therefore, Core i7-3970X is fully compatible even with the first generation components, with only one exception, which is Intel's own RTS 2011 AC air cooler, which was offered originally with the LGA 2011 processors. In other words, the new Intel processor should have no compatibility issues of any kind. There is an option that increased normal clock frequency of the new processor should result into a higher overclocking potential. It is often true, but things are totally different with Core i7-3970X. As we have already seen, this processor has been created by legally overclocking the previous CPU model and doesn't really have anything new in its semiconductor core. It uses the same exact stepping of 23 nm core as Core i7-3960X and its core speed increased together with the TDP. In other words, Core i7-3970X should overclock in exactly the same manner as Core i7-3960X. But in reality, this isn't bad at all. Core i7-3960X overclocked well. And the same is true for Core i7-3970X. 
Both these processors belong to Extreme Edition series, which means that they have unlocked clock frequency multipliers, i.e. allow settings in the clock frequency without changing the BCLK frequency. However, the LGH2011 platform allows adjusting the clock generating frequency in the 100 and 125 MHz interval without any loss of system stability. So, overclockers have a lot of freedom to experiment. Nevertheless, it is not very good to change the BCLK frequency during Core i7-3970X of clocking. It won't provide any additional performance boost, but it will simply offer a different route to adjusting the CPU clock. Therefore, it was chosen to overclock the test processor by simply manipulating its clock frequency multiplier. So the goal for the experiments was to determine the frequency at which Core i7-3970X would be able to continuously operate in 24-7 mode without losing stability. Therefore, don't use any dangerous voltage, voltage settings. It worked with NZXT Havoc 140 air cooler. After that was tested, the overclock system stability by running OCCT 4.3.2 utility. Our core i7-3970X remains stable at the maximum frequency of 4.6 GHz. The CPU V core in this case was set at 1.375 volts, and a load lining calibration function was enabled. One would have to say that the maximum acceptance temperature for Core i7-3970X cores is the same as before, 91 degrees. After that, the processor's thermal throttling kicks in. Therefore, it is important to choose a cooling system with proper efficiency and use of more efficient systems might actually further improve the overclocking results. In the specific case, the temperature was 5 to 10 degrees below the critical maximums at all times. All obtained results indicate that Core i7-3970X overclocks the same way as its predecessor. It had already reached 4.6 GHz frequency before. This is typical overclocking level for any Sandy Bridge e-processors with C2 stepping under an efficient air cooler. In other words, the new Intel processor doesn't really offer anything new to overclockers in this respect. Well, that concludes this week's nerd episode of Impact Technologies Podcast. You can find all the links for the articles I've talked about in the show notes at our website. If you wish to find me on the internet, just search Impact Technologies Podcast on Google and you'll find the website. I'm in iTunes and if you wish to find me in iTunes, I'm in the gadgets section in podcasts. If you want to comment or have a question, just email me, impacttechnology at hotmail.com. If you want a voice comment or question, you can record your question or comment and email it to me. Stay tuned to another jam-packed episode of Impact Technologies Podcast. Thank you for listening to Impact Technologies Podcast. I greatly appreciate you for listening. If you like this episode, please check out my previous episodes for even more great content. Thanks.